It's Wednesday the 20th of January. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. Shane, your old captain's coming on the show today. Stephen Roger War. What a player, what a captain. Yeah, Tugger, as we used to know him as, as a nickname. And uh, yep, he was an exceptional guy to play with both for New South Wales and Australia. And, and a great leader and, um, and a good guy. And he's actually a fantastic photographer as well. So we'll talk about that today. Yeah, his new book. John Stephenson also joining the show. It's a circus down at the Australian Open as they get ready. He's got some insight into that as well as the UFC. And we have another Australian going under the magical 10 seconds for the 100 metres. This is Afternoon Sport. Let's get cracking. Well, I don't know. It really rates up there with one of the best test series and that last day test days I've ever seen Shane Lee what, what do you think it was a hard fought day India fought all the way to the end of the, the match so you could see the passion and excitement and the, and the relief in their eyes and it was um yeah as, as far as test cricket goes it, it was a really really tough fought series uh, but not the right result for the Australians we're going to talk to Steve War, former Australian captain what a player what a legend he is mm. and to get his insights on the actual test match. But but a point that I, I, I raised the other day, Shane, the test arena has changed forever. And yesterday was a bit of an impact of the positive impact of 2020 cricket because test teams now, players now, think that they can chase down anything. They do, mate. And, you know, they've got, gone as the day when you've got 250 on the board in the last innings and that's going to be enough where, you know, they're scoring 200 plus in 2020 matches now. So teams realise they can do it with wickets in hand. And we saw that yesterday and you know, the Indians really came in with really positive attitude and, and Pant, once again, after the sort of, you know, the sledging that went on between himself and Payne, he became a real key member in, the, in that batting lineup and, and scored quick runs again yesterday. Would you sack Tim Payne? No, I wouldn't sack him. Uh, I, I think for a couple of reasons. I think... Whilst I don't think he had the best series, I think he has some good leadership qualities. I think tactically he could have done a few things a little bit better, but there's no one in that team that I would replace him with. You know, Labashay, where you know, he's our number three batsman, but I don't think he's a leader yet, and I, I want him just to bat. And Smith and and Warner, due to you know previous misdemeanors, they won't be considered. So, and then that leaves you with Pat Cummins, where you know I think he's got enough on his plate. He's He's bowling his guts out every every time uh, we need a wicket and uh, coming up with the goods. So he's got enough on his plate there. Is Nathan Lyon as good as what he was? Do you think? Yeah, of course he is, mate. The guy's taken you know almost four hundred Test wickets in a hundred Tests as an off spinner. Like uh, Gavin Robertson said the other day, the Indians play spin, particularly off spin, as well as anyone in the world. They grow up; they're, they're pretty much at, at birth. They're uh, the first thing to do after they learn to walk is how to play off spinners. So they're um, they're they're really talented in that area. You know, Shane Warne got got absolutely hammered when he went to India. So you know, and he was he's the greatest of all time. Uh, it was amazing though. What a series! What, what a remarkable series to think that they had. Uh, two players play all four tests and, and, you know, net bowlers coming into their team. Uh, that win will be remembered just like the tied tests and other remarkable moments in history. Yeah, and I think what we'll find that um, out of this uh, test series will be probably some documentary on how India perform with the whole rags to riches, you know, players coming from... Look, in India, there's 1.5 billion people. You have absolute wealth and absolute poverty and the biggest middle class in the world. Now, generally, all their cricketers came from upper to middle class. And no one's really come from from the lower socioeconomic part of India, but they are now, and and that's going to be really big trouble for <laughs> for for other cricket teams around the world because if they start picking from their total population, we're in a lot of trouble. 
Yeah, well, Steve Wall's got a book. It's called The Spirit of Cricket India. We're going to talk to him about that. Is there any better time to talk about the spirit of cricket in India? And some of the stories that you just mentioned, we will talk about sons of rickshaw drivers and, and those that are just finding their way in India and didn't, don't have enough money to buy cricket shoes. It's an extraordinary yarn. Steve Wall is coming up next on Afternoon Sport. Stay right where you are. Afternoon sport, well, what a remarkable day of test cricket. One of the most extraordinary I've ever seen in my life. And uh, talk about the spirit of India, Shane Lee. Uh, what a day to have your former captain on, a, a great teammate of yours. Yeah, and a good mate, uh, Stephen Roger War. Welcome, Tugger, to the show. How are you, buddy? Good, mate. Excellent. Mate, Tugger, I remember um, like you've been honing your um, – we'll talk about your book, but you've been honing your, um, your photography and your writing skills for probably 30 years now. And I remember – the 96 Cricket World Cup, we were in India, and I think we were in your room, and we looked down, and India can be quite confronting, and there was a beggar on the ground downstairs, and I remember you took the photo just as he looked up, and the, the dis- despair in his eyes, remember that? Yeah, no, 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 I still remember that photo in, uh, in Calcutta, and it was one yeah. of the images sort of sticks with you, and when you look back on it, um, yeah, you see the helplessness of the situation, and, uh, and how tough people um, I live in, in circumstances in India, uh, particularly if you're living on the streets and, and begging. So it's, um, yeah, it's very confronting. Yeah, and there's an amazing parallel. I was on that 96 World Cup uh, covering what you guys were doing over there, and it seems like a world away. But there's an amazing parallel to your book and its title and this series, Win by India. Because if you just scratch the surface and you look at some of the lives and the upbringings of just this team, just this team here that we're looking at, you know, Saini's father was a rickshaw driver, died in November, hasn't got back. Uh, We look at Washington Sundar's father had no money but sponsored by a guy next door. Thakur uh, had problems with his weight and Tendulkar helped him. Natarajan was the son of a loom worker. It's their lives which if you haven't been to India you can't quite conceptualise Steve. No that's right and uh, you know they're, they're hungry for success and they'll do anything to um, to make sure that uh, they make the most of their ability and potential and you saw that with the Indian side in the last couple of tests. It's probably one of the the greatest wins by any cricket side in in the history of the game. Uh, really, you know, with um, the whole bowling attack out, plus even some of the uh, second line bowlers not there, and you have two two players there who are basically came along as um, to support the batsmen as net bowlers, playing in Test matches and doing well. So, huge credit to Jinky Rahani for and Ravi Shastri for getting the group together and playing like they did. But they just never gave up and they kept fighting and scrapping. And uh, and as you said, Tim, a lot of these that's the way they're brought up. It's it's a tough life in India for a lot of people and. Um, you've just got to do what you can to to make the most of what you've got. Tucker, so tell us about the book. I read that you took over 10,000 photos when you're putting this book together and you've chosen something like 220 of your best photos. But what's the what's what's the story behind the book? It, it really came from touring India for 30-odd years and I'd always take my camera with me and sit at the front of the bus and, and take as many shots as I can because I'm pretty inquisitive and curious by nature. And India has got so much, uh, so many things to see and do and that you've never seen before. So I, I just wanted one day to go out and get amongst it and take photos of kids playing cricket in the alleyways, on the beaches, um, mm. you know, in, in the back streets. And um, and 15 years after retiring, or probably more than that, the opportunity came where I knew my presence wouldn't be as uh, big as it was when I was playing. So I had a bit of freedom to move around. And I wanted to try and capture the spirit of cricket through the lens of my camera. So you're right, I took 17,000 photos over 17 days. Wow. I had a great photography coach and a guy called Trent Park, who was actually a really good cricketer in his day. But now he's one of the only, the only Australian ever to be invited to the Magnum Photo Agency in France. So he was um, an incredible oh, okay. coach. And 
I was a rookie on tour and uh, tried to soak up as much knowledge as I could and end up taking, surprising myself by taking these 220 photos, which ended up in the book. Yeah, he's a great man, Trent, too, the little question of that. And and look, there's no better time to go and grab a copy of this book, www.stevewar.com.au. It'll give you a pictorial insight into what India is like. I remember Mike Coward wrote a book once, uh, Cricket in India, Beyond the Bazaar, B-A-Z-A-A-R, and it's, it is quite wild having been there a lot myself. Steve, um, what happens to this Australian cricket team? Does Tim Payne stay? Is that getting a bit presumptuous? Some people calling for his head. Yeah, look, I, I felt, I must have been, I felt for him yesterday, uh, position as a captain sometimes things things don't work out and you maybe don't think as clearly as you should under the pressure situation but at the end of the day I, I just think our feeling has let us down in the series we we haven't feared like uh, the Australian sides of the past and we haven't scored enough runs I mean realistically in Brisbane on that pitch against that bowling attack we should have got 500 550 in the first innings and put the game away so we we, we, we missed opportunities um, sure we didn't bowl them out but I think our bowlers are a bit fatigued I mean it's had a lot of bowling and it's, um, you know, I guess if there's any criticism of Tim, it might have been that we could have mixed it up a bit. I would have liked to see Cameron Green bowl a few more overs, um, Labashane and even Steve Smith. I was yeah. surprised he didn't bowl his leg spinner. So sometimes you get a bit caught up and I can understand how he put faith in an attack that's taken over a thousand test wickets compared to the opposition, which had 13. I mean, that was an incredible statistic before the start of the game. So that India just, uh, you know, they, they just almost wanted it more yesterday. You could see that they just wanted to win that game. And even Rahani, when he came out to bat, he showed really good intent and it was really great leadership. But for our boys, it just didn't work out. But I, I sort of put the blame at the, at the batsmen, um, not scoring enough runs and the fielding, dropping catches where we don't normally drop those sort of catches. So I mentioned yesterday on the show, I thought Rahane was an exceptional captain and it was almost like the whole team relaxed um, when Coley went home. Um, Coley's obviously a fantastic batsman, yeah, probably one of the best Indian batsmen of all time, if not the best. Um, but the team really relaxed when he went home. He's, he's, he's brought that team together, hasn't he, Rahane? Yeah, and there's a difference between you know captaincy and leadership and um, yeah. maybe he did um, relax the boys a bit. They had nothing to lose. I mean, I've, I've had a bit to do with Rahane. I met him on this, actually on this recent trip of the book and he sought me out for a bit of guidance and and um, on leadership. I had a good chat to him, and I also spoke to him in Australia. He's um he's a really good style of fellow, a bit more on the Rahul Dravid sort of mold, where he's um a quiet achiever, not big on the, the you know stand on top of the table and making big speeches, but more one on one behind the scenes and working with the players and showing belief. And I think um, the side, as I say, did relax and they played incredible cricket for a group of cricketers who really um, no one expected to win. But I guess the bonus for those guys was that. They had a lot less pressure because no one expected them to do that well. So they could go out and play with a bit of freedom. But having said that, it's still a lot, lot harder to do than say. Yeah, and a lot of people have bagged 2020 saying that it's destroyed elements of test cricket. Yesterday, plenty were saying that what we saw was actually the benefit of 2020 cricket and the way the world has changed in this game because it, everyone and every team now thinks they can chase down anything. Yeah, they showed no fear, that's for sure. Someone like Washington Sunder, I think the amazing stat was he hadn't played a first-class game since 2017. Here he was playing a test match and, and just going about it as if it was a 20-20 or a 50-over game, the way he relaxed and got 22 off 29 balls in a real precious situation. So you're right, in a lot of regards, um, they don't know or they don't understand or they don't comprehend the real the pressures that maybe other players um, put on themselves in test cricket. Um the outcome was everything, and maybe for these guys, it was um, you know it's just another game of cricket, and let's back ourselves, and we can play the ramp shot, we can play a reverse sweep, and we can win this Test match chase in seven and over. So, 
yeah, times have definitely changed. Tago, what are you what are you doing with yourself now in retirement, mate? Besides putting books together and taking great photos, what what's yeah? Your, well, there's no such thing as retirement. I would retire from cricket, <laughs> I guess. But um, oh, look, you know, obviously family, three kids growing up. But um, yeah, the charity still takes a huge part of my um, week and life. The Steve Wall Foundation. We've been doing that for 17 years and still involved in some stuff in India. I'm also part of the Lottery World Sports Academy, so we have. Um, you know, charity projects in the Sport for Good Foundation. We've got 140 projects in 40 countries, so all that and a bit of entrepreneurial stuff and obviously the book and the photo exhibition and, and the documentary that went with this project. So, yeah, there's plenty going on, mate. Yeah, we had a good chat, you and I, at the Sydney Cricket Ground when the, we just did a soft launch the night that it, it broadcast part of that documentary. It, it seemed like it was a real – and you've done so many passions. You've been to India so many times. It sounded like there was a real – uh, touch effect uh, really affected you this this trip here because you went inside you met that little kid and tell us a bit more about that yeah look there were so many amazing people we met um you know this young three-year-old we met on via instagram so social media has a huge impact and that's why india will get better and better because kids that weren't um exposed or um seen before now can make themselves um known on things like you know social network and we found this young three-year-old boy living outside of Calcutta, who was this um, amazing young talent. So I went and visited him and photographed him and he got a bit unruly at times because he was only a three-year-old. So he was you know, biting Trent Park on the leg and Andre Major, who did the videography, <laughs> just whacked him with a plastic bat. And so we had a great time. We, we met people like that. We met a 100-year-old cricketer. We um, went to the Women's Cricket Academy in Dharamshala, um, played cricket with a, with a blind academy in Bangalore. The physically challenged cricketers was another incredible experience. So... This trip was about um, you know getting down and amongst you know playing cricket with the monks in front of the Himalayas. Um, it was a trip that was really great fun, and I think as professional sportsmen, you go to the hotel, to the ground, to the airport, and you sort of long to get out there and uh, and be normal and get amongst. And this, I could actually do that in this 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 trip, this trip seventeen days and mm. taking photographs for twelve hours a day. It was you know it was what. You know, two of the greatest weeks of my life. Tuggy, do you sometimes wish that uh, we played rugby? Because as cricketers, we tour India, Sri Lanka, and Pakistan. The rugby boys get Argentina and the south of France. <laughs> yeah, well, it's certainly different. I mean, um, but having said that, I mean, you know, they're, they're great life experiences. And I think you've got to open, you've got to be open to to what's out there. And um, I think early on, we sort of had this siege mentality about the subcontinent and it was, you know, the food was no good. It was going to be tough cricket. The grounds weren't going to suit us to conditions. But once you get out there and meet the people, you realise they're the same as you. They're just uh, very passionate about their own team winning. And, um, yeah, w- you know, whilst it would be nice to go to a place like you know, south of France and Argentina, I mean, <laughs> I guess I wouldn't trade it because I've, I've met so many great people and seen so many amazing things. Um, going to places I, I wouldn't have gone if I wasn't a professional cricketer. Yeah, like the Rumbuck Palace in Jaipur. It's, uh, there's some extraordinary places and you could, just, you could just roll them off. All right, babe, thanks for coming on, Steve. Go grab a copy of the book. Just finally... Um, this bloke here that we're talking to, Shane Lee, have you got some inside stuff only between us? Uh, he came in as a precocious talent, the blonde tips. He had the BMW, <laughs> no roof on it. <laughs> well, and we, was, we, had, we had some great times. And it, was, um, it was sort of history-making. Uh, we, I think we were the first sets of brothers to play um, in, in internationals together, the wars and the leagues, and, um, yeah, all very different uh, personalities and players. And, um, yeah, Fuck certainly enjoyed himself on tour and uh, – and made the most of his opportunities. But um, I think if he was playing now, he'd certainly be a superstar in T20. Oh, that's really He's nice. probably already told you that already. <laughs> yeah, I don't tell about it every day, mate. No, but, uh, mate, Tug, I really appreciate you coming to the show, mate. You were a great uh, great guy to play with and a great captain too, mate. So I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Of course, he got medals at the World Championships, the Olympic Games and the Commonwealth Games. But he knows so much about so much more. John Stephenson, next.
Stump to Stump is Australia's newest and most interactive cricket platform for all cricket fans, players and clubs to share stories, match results, memories and experiences. Stumptostump.com Afternoon sport. Well, we've seen uh, another Australian go under that magical 10-second mark, Shane Lee. Uh, Rowan Browning is his name. It was extraordinary. Yeah, and John Stephenson is with us to talk all about it. How are you, John? Hey, Shane. Hey, Tim. Yes, I sure am. I mean, how good was that right now? Uh, I love Rowan. Very good kid. Known him for a while. And it was, it was inevitable that he was going to run this fast sooner or later. We've seen him at Commonwealth Games in 2018 uh, where... He should have made the final and he should have ran very well in the final and um, and he, he unfortunately didn't make it. And I know I remember seeing him after that race and he was, you know, quite distraught that he didn't really reach his full ability. And, and then again, in Doha World Champs, he ran very well in Brisbane leading up to the 2019 World Championships and then uh, got to Doha and, and battled a little bit through that championship. So to see him come out on the weekend and run 9.96 was a brilliant run. Now... As a purist of track and field, I think it's only fair that I give our listeners full perspective on what this time means and what Rowan really did. Now, there was a tailwind of three point, I think it was 3.2 or 3.9 or 3.6 metres a second, which in sprinting terms, um, it's not the worst of gale force winds, but it's it, it's like a mini cyclone running behind you and you've got a wind assisting <laughs> yeah. factor that, that is that much. This doesn't – I don't want to take away from Rowan's performance because the whole time when I was a track athlete, I found that a lot of ex-track athletes, when they commented on your performances, always had something negative to say about something that was great. Mm. I think what, what is great about this run for Rowan and what is great about athletics, what this run is for athletics in Australia, is the fact that Rowan – ran under 10 seconds. His body has got to feel what it feels like to go under 10 mm. seconds. The confidence you'll get from this will be exponentially. It's, it'll be crazy for him. I mean, he's, he's, put, he's put him now into belief that, look, another 1.6 metres less of a tailwind, that becomes a legal time. It, it's, it's six months away from the Olympic Games. And I think what it also does is the other athletes, like a Jack Hell, we talked about two weeks ago when he broke the Australian 100-yards record. Jack knows he can beat Rowan. Now Jack's thinking, well, if this guy has just gone under 10, now is my time to shine. And I know Jack, in, his, in one of his comments in, in an article he did, he said, look, that was my first race for the year. Um, and to be in 10-1, 10-2 show, which I explained to you guys, which that time um, converted to that he ran 100 yards, um, he feels that, hey, you know, it's watching Rowan do this. My sub 10 is coming anytime now. So I think this puts the sport in a very, very good position. I think Rowan still has a hell of a lot to do, even though he's run under 10 seconds. I still think to be competitive at a championship, you've got to put three of those races together under 10. Um, but this is definitely the right step for him. Um, it's come at the right time. And, um, and he's, there's nobody that's more deserving than Rowan um, because he's, he's a student of the game. He works extremely hard and, and it was sensational to see him run that time. Now, John, what's happening? What's the latest with the Australian Open, mate? Anything happening down there? John, well, let me keep it 1,000 with you, Tim. I'm going to keep all you. I need to be keep it 1 million. Now, what, what, so, so for those for those listening to John's new language, what he means is he's, he's going to be either 1,000% truthful or 1 million. <laughs> what do you make of, of the quarantine and the signs on walls, I need fresh air, and how would you have copped it? Listen, uh, I, I, this is a two-prong attack I'm going to give you guys here. Now, I don't want to go on a rant because you all know how I feel. I mean, Tim especially knows how I feel about this COVID. I am over it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I honestly think that we need to jog on as a society and live with it. Now, I know you're going to say, John, just focus on the sport. Yes, but this is going to give you my answer to the, to where I feel the athletes are reacting and handling this. Now, being an ex-athlete, understanding the mental fragility that you're at, coming to a championships, you get very sensitive, you're very selfish, and it's all about you. And I understand what these athletes are doing. I mean, in their head, they can't fathom the, the craziness that's going on, on on why they can't train, why they can't get fresh air. Mm. And you're all about competing to the best of your ability. I mean, so it's a slam. We're not talking about one of those smaller Sydney tournaments. This is the Australian Open. It's one of the Grand Slams. Uh, these athletes have, have trained their whole life. It's their mini Olympics, if you want to put it that way. There's four, mm. four Olympics in a year that these guys and girls play. So, you know, I can understand their whole plan, their normal daily routines are in disarray at the moment. They can't fathom how they're going to compete with this. And I, and I do sympathize with them. I know there was there was a big, you know, hoopla about Novak Djokovic making demands. And Craig Tyler made it very clear yesterday. He did not make a demand. He just made, he just gave some suggestions. Now we better can sort of circumnavigate this crazy. And, and, and I think that's the right way. I think I know he's head of the, a player's league, which, which represents the players. So, uh, I'm not a massive fan of COVID. How we handle? I don't believe in lockdown. So there you go. That's a bit of controversy. That's one million. There you go. That's very good, mate. Well, the, the, the one thing you can't order from room service when you're in lockdown is is a, is a serve and volley game. So they would be struggling in there, mate, and uh, watching the walls and um, and reading the reading the internet. I'm sure all day, every day, and, and seeing when they're going to be let out. So um, fingers crossed that'll happen. But uh, Johnny. It's always good to talk to you, mate. It is absolutely great to talk to you. And they, they could actually watch some UFC while they're in there too, couldn't they, John? Oh, well, listen, that, I, if I was one of those tennis players, I'd be licking my lips because that means I get uninterrupted UFC this weekend. <laughs> We're seeing Conor McGregor taking on a formidable opponent by the name of Dustin Poirier. Now, guys, I'm gonna again, I'm going to keep it 1,000. I can't keep it a million with this one. I'm going to keep 1,000. I honestly think that Dustin Poirier is going to get a late-round stoppage against Conor McGregor. He's fighting against wow. Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker's fighting on the same card this this weekend, but his last fight with Dan Hooker was an unbelievable... I, I thought it was fight of the year. Um, he went five rounds non-stop just throwing these elbows. It was amazing. I, I do think Conor McGregor, if he doesn't catch him in the first or second round, um, it, it's going to be a long night for him. But I just think Dustin, he, he, at this heavier weight, he's been just a better fighter. I think Conor got under his skin the first time they fought. And I think he's got, he's got, he's got Conor's mental game at the moment. Mm. Whether Conor's as hungry as what he, what he was um, before he made uh, all the millions of dollars, um, yeah. it, it's yet to find. I mean, he's staying in a luxury yacht um, out there in Abu Dhabi, he landed at Fight Island. He's living the dream. Connie's he's bought a million dollar watch while he was out out there at training camp. He's got his Rolls Royces there. He's the best mm. guy. I, lo- I love the circus that comes with him. Um, but also on the card, is, is I just want to mention before we go, is he's a fight. He's Dan Hooker. Um, he's fighting Michael Chandler. I think Dan Hooker gets the win in this fight as well. Um, uh, he, that's going to be an epic uh, undercard um, or pre-main event that we're going to see. And, and also there's, there's, there's a girl by the name of Joanne Calderwood who, who every time she fights, it's, it, it, it's amazing. She has a crack. It's a bloodbath. So um, look forward to that. And I'll give a little honorable mention to last week, the Max Holloway. Uh, wow. Isn't he back? I um, mean, he fought Calvin Qatar. Everyone thought that would be a really tough fight for Max. That he's in September of his career. He absolutely took him to school for five rounds. So he's put his name back in contention in, in that whole, Conor McGregor could be talks of, of, of who fights. And just quickly, before I go, there's a lot of news mm. here. Is, is, is Khabib is in Fight Island having discussions with Dana White. So we, we saw him famously retire after his last fight against Justin Gaethje. There's rumors and talks. And he has said, Khabib, that if, if anyone shows him something special, that's between which Max, 
Dan Hooker, Conor McGregor, and Dustin Poirier that he will make a comeback and uh, and potentially take on one of these guys. So in the UFC, it's all buzzing, and it's only in January. It's all happening. Well, I know you've uh, you've got your daily haircut to get. What time's your haircut today, John? <laughs> you should. I oh, just quietly, boys. You should see it. I look sensational. That was the best decision I made last week. Was doing the double, the sides of the top. I'm killing it. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, well, you 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 were second behind a mate of mine on on who loves himself the most. Shane, do you want to say something? I was going to say that, uh, Johnny. You say kebab, I say kebab. I'm hungry. I'm going for lunch. See, you, boys. <laughs> see you, yeah, boys. You think about my Lebanese heritage, kebab all sources. See, you, John. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. We'll be with you Monday to Friday every week. Hit subscribe on your podcast app so you don't miss it. A big thank you goes out to Steve Waugh today and John Stephenson. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors, Shano, Spartan Sports. SpartanSportsHQ.com. And, of course, our producer, Dan McHugh, who when we first mentioned Steve Waugh's name, Tugger, he said, why is that? (laughs) Tugger Waugh. We'll see you tomorrow, Afternoon Sport. We'll see you then.